I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Well, uncertainty, recessions, and layoffs. Welcome to 2023, right? It's been a crazy year so far. But, uh, you know, recessions are a normal part of the economic cycle. And they normally follow a fairly predictable path. And because of that, we can leverage that into opportunity. So recessions are, are fairly predictable. So every wind, every ta- I'll move out of the way, every headwind produces some sort of tailwind. And so what we want to talk about today is how to catch that wind and propel your growth into 2023 and well beyond. So at the beginning of a recession, spending drops. And leaders will take a pause and maybe they'll cut back a little bit. And they hope that it'll pass. Over time, a tipping point occurs. And then they really get serious about cuts. Layoffs start happening. And as they start cutting people, they also start cutting nice-to-haves, you know, solutions that are redundant, that gets the boot. And we've seen that in Q1 in a huge way. 389 companies, 139,000 people in the tech sector, gone. The crazy thing is that with unemployment, that is a lagging indicator of recession, not a leading indicator. So when that happens, we're already in it regardless of what politicians say. So how do we leverage productivity into opportunity. Well, one of the things that happens is they just will look at it and say, okay, in addition to preserving cash, I'll drop prices. Because if I drop my price, then demand will stay the same. And that may work for a little while, but it starts to create a downward spiral. Because lower prices mean lower margins. Lower margins mean you have less to invest in differentiation. Weaker differentiation creates a spiral. And as competition heats up, then margins get lower and it becomes more of a race to the bottom and the business is devalued because a a business that has low margins and uh, less monopoly control, less unique, yes, less differentiation is less valuable to acquirers. So what should we do instead? How do we, how do we keep things going in a positive direction? We're going to talk about that. We're going to pull some lessons from, I'm a scuba diver. So we'll talk about some lessons from the world of fish in the ocean today. It'll be very fun. We're going to create a model together. And so we'll do the first part of that. It's we're going to talk about the yes box. How do we position your company in what I call the yes box? When a recession happens, if we look at this here, we look at the, the total cost. It's not about dropping your price. In fact, you should probably raise yours, but that's a story for another time. On the left side, we have the total cost of a solution. And this is the, the total cost. This includes hard and soft cost of a solution. So the, the people that run it, all of the ancillary things around making that solution go. And so um, 
your clients have to drive costs out of their, their business model. On the bottom, they're not ready to take a step down in quality. And so they, what they're looking for is something that is a high-quality solution, but they have to take costs out of their business model, and that's where you come in, is providing a solution that fits the need that, that users love and that delivers the outcome that is promised. So if we look at the thing over here with total cost, this is you know, all of the things that are in that. And I, this is all, I call it, it's the, all the ancillary crap that goes along with a solution, what they're doing today to solve a problem. And the quality is how much of a pain in the butt is this thing to use? Because if a solution's not used and they don't get the benefit uh, of that solution, and that's what your, your solution can deliver is that benefit. So it meets the outcome, users love it, and it solves the need. And isn't this always a good idea? And the answer is, well, of course it is. But we have a unique opportunity right now because inertia has been disrupted. And anybody ride a bike on a regular basis? Ever, ever ridden a bike? Ever seen a bike? All right, so we got, yes, okay. Uh, inertia is disrupted. Uh, you know, if you're riding a bike and you take your hands off the handlebars, you just keep riding going. The, the momentum keeps you going. If you stop pedaling, inertia just keeps you going. I was out riding one night and uh, riding along and uh, having a good time. Headphones, I had my earbuds in, listening to music. And I had a speed bump. I didn't see it. One minute, life was fantastic. All was good in the world. And the next, I'm flying over the handlebars and eating pavement. And that is what is happening to your prospects right now in this economy. I mean, ask SVB. You know, last week, inertia was significantly disrupted. Disrupted for a lot of people in the industry. But if you look back a month ago, if you're in bank and you're trying to get those accounts... It's a cool kid's bank. You're not going to get those accounts. They're not going to move. Inertia was disrupted, and now they're all in play. Disruption creates opportunity, and it creates opportunity for you and your business as well. So as the recession goes on, we have the early stage yes boxes where people are moving, and as time goes on, that gets a little bit bigger. They're more willing to compromise on cost and in quality. But that's the, the place to dominate is uh, in you know, driving cost out of their business model and delivering a solution that uh, users love, that meets the expectations, that delivers the outcome that, uh, that you promised. So we're going to pull some lessons. Like I said, if you do that out, the, the yes box, we're actually going to build on that today. And uh, so three lessons from the world of fish. The first one is to get big, go small. I'm going to introduce you to one of the most fearless creatures in all the ocean. It actually reminds me of, of you entrepreneurs and that they see opportunities where others see threats. This is the Blue Street Cleaner Wrasse. It has a, a very unique function in the, the ocean. It eats parasites and dead tissue off of other fish. It keeps fish clean from all over. Small fish that live on a reef, fish that live, it's been their entire lives in the open ocean. Manta rays, tarpons, even sharks will regularly stop by for a scrub down. Call these guys the, the shark's dentist because it's actually one of the most uh, or one of the only creatures in the ocean that will voluntarily swim into the mouth of a shark or barracuda and is allowed to swim back out again. But everybody wins. The sharks get clean, or the, the fish get clean, and the cleaner fish get a free meal. They don't chase clients, they don't hunt. 
they don't, um, they don't pursue prey. Fish actually line up for them. And so how would that change your business if clients lined up for you and you're able to deliver to them exactly what they wanted every single time in your business? You know, most SaaS marketing funnels, I mean, look like this. They're huge at the top. And so you may have an ICP. You may say, oh, here's my, my avatar. I have these conversations all the time. It's like, okay, who are you really selling to? And it's, well, it's, it's small business and sometimes medium-sized companies and it's large companies and companies with lots of employees and solopreneurs. And then we kind of get down to it and it's like, well, okay, it's, it's anybody I can give them for it from a trial or who will have a sales conversation with me. And that funnel is big and it's expensive to fill. And the crazy thing is it's so big that not a lot of good stuff goes into it. And even more, there's less coming out on the bottom. Because a lot of times what happens is the, the, the prospects that are in the funnel don't really know if they're a fit or not. They don't have that clarity. So what do we do? I'm going to take that funnel and turn it upside down. There is an inverse relationship between big funnel thinking, giant marketing to the masses, and having a very focused, tight message that resonates with your ideal clients. Customized acquisition cost is the highest when you're general. When you get very specific, when you get really focused, it accelerates the sales cycle and CAC drops significantly. So what we want to do is turn that funnel upside down so that the small end is on top. And that's a really scary thought. Like the small end? Yes. And that's having a very defined target market, a very defined message that resonates with an ideal client. And the crazy thing is the smaller it is on top and the more focused that message is, the more comes out on the bottom. Because the people that are in there understand the value proposition. They have the, the problem. They know the problem that you solve. And, uh, and conversions go up. Now, like I said, it's a scary thing. And this is something that I've fought for a, a long, long time. And uh, in my background, five companies, uh, four exits, uh, $250 million in, uh, in ARR combined. Still run at SaaS Company today. And I fought this every single time, going small. But every single time is the common thread that has lit the fuse that set the rocket right in motion. It's really getting really focused. And all industries are not affected the same, even in a downturn. So I've got SaaS clients today that have 10x their business focusing on things like accounting, focusing on um, dentists, of all things, microbreweries. I mean, how random is that? But the difference is that when they focus on that market, it resonates with that specific client, and they know that they can get that need solved right there, and it separates them in the marketplace that's noisy and crowded, uh, where they become specialists. In a recession, clients move from general to specific. They're looking for expertise. They're looking for certainty and stability, and so you can provide that to them in your solution. So, for example, if you were looking for an attorney maybe for an exit or to raise around, would any attorney do? I mean, they all pass the bar, right? How about the guy, I saw a billboard down the street, 49 bucks to take care of a traffic ticket. Would that that good? If, if, if yes, then I want to buy your company. But no, no, we want specialists. We want experts in that, right? And I guess if you have a traffic ticket, then that's going to be your person on the billboard. But we're looking for that kind of expertise, and your clients are looking for that too. They want to work with an expert. They want to have that comfort. They want to have that certainty that you are the right solution for them. They're looking for experts, so give it to them. So to get big, go small. 
And take a, a funnel. We'll build this model here. You've got the, the yes box. If you wrote that down, take a funnel and you just put it right on top of the, the yes box. And so upside down funnel. The next one, we will go all the way to Japan. The southern coast of Japan. Kind of crazy looking. Like they're, they're like, that's a Sarlacc pit. Kind of. Divers in Japan notice symmetrical mandala pattern circles in the sand about six feet across. Way too intricate and detailed to be natural. They assume that divers were making them. Or aliens. They remained a mystery for years. And just ten years ago, the culprit was caught in the act. A white spotted puffer fish is five inches long, six feet, five inches long, creating a giant love note in the sand to attract his ideal client, the female puffer fish. She takes a look at his creation and says, wow, this was made for me. And the rest is puffer fish history. To attract your ideal client, Create an irresistible offer so they know this was made for me. Pufferfish are pretty good marketers. Who knew, right? Because it's all about her. A lot of times in our marketing, it's about us and how great we are. But when we fall in love with our product, instead of falling in love with our ideal client, we both lose. When we make that mistake, they don't see an epic love note in the sand or a creation that's made specifically for them. But when we change our perspective and see the world through the eyes of our ideal client and what really matters to them, we capture their head and their heart. Do that well. Competition becomes irrelevant. So how do we make offers irresistible? And remember, it's irresistible to them. Well, first we want to focus on that, the center, and that is make it where it is something they look at and they say, this was made for me. You know, there's lots of fish in the ocean, and they could all look at that and it would mean nothing to them. But for the female puffer fish, that ideal client, it resonates. It's something that, that means something. And that's what we're looking for for our clients as well. We want it to have no perceived risk. We want it to be you know, irresistible means that there's, there's not resistance there. There's no reason not to move forward. You think about it in fish terms, it's all wormed, no hook. There's no reason not to do it. We want it to be very easy in your process. We want adoption to be fluid. We want that onboarding process to be good and to have wins built into that. So not something that's, that's out there somewhere but that there, there's wins that are built into the onboarding and implementation process. And then the outcome needs to be clear. They need to understand what it is. It needs to be measurable. They need to know what success looks like. They need to know what a win looks like. And it needs to be believable. They have to actually believe it in order to move forward with your solution. So think about that in, in terms of your marketing. So as in, uh, um, and again, it, it, it's what matters to them. It's, it's success through their eyes. I was in Southern California uh, a little while back and uh, went down to the beach to get some tacos, fish tacos, as a matter of fact. 
And it came with a pico de gallo, and I'm like, I'm really excited about this. It's amazing. It's fresh. If you don't know what that is, like chopped up uh, onions, tomatoes, jalapenos, maybe some cilantro. Fantastic. And uh, so it came out fresh and hot. Put some pico on my taco, and I took the first bite. And something's not right. Where there should be a nice kick of jalapeno spice. It was a watery, earthy taste cucumber. Are you kidding me? I mean, an innovative choice? Maybe. Irresistible? Not at all. (laughs) It looked right on the outside. I mean, they're both small and green. But what's inside matters. Client expectations matter. Client experience matters. And when we don't understand what's irresistible to our clients, we may think that, that our innovation is an improvement or that two things are equivalent. Don't let, don't let innovation sour expectations. Make sure that in your marketing that you always deliver jalapenos, not cucumbers. See the world through the eyes of your ideal client, what's irresistible to them, and deliver that. So it resonates with them, and it's what is valuable in their eyes. So create that irresistible offer. You know, the ocean is full of relationships that are um, pretty simple. Uh, you know, kind of predator prey, it's pretty simple. I'm going to eat you now. I mean, that's, it doesn't get much simpler than that. Or fish just kind of coexisting on a reef. But the most interesting to me are the ones that are called mutualistic, where two different species work together cooperatively to benefit each other. And one of these is the pilot fish. Throughout their lives, just from a few inches long to a couple of feet long, they accompany open water sharks. And uh, to take care of maintenance tasks, get rid of annoyances, and in turn, they're able to pick up scraps from shark meals and get some pretty good protection from other predators. And the, the smaller ones, a lot of times, they will sit like right in front of the shark's nose. That's where they get their name, pilots. It looks like the, the little fish is steering the shark. And every time I see this, especially in person, I'm just like looking at him think, thinking, I mean, he's, he's got to be thinking, like, I'm driving a great white. What do you got? So what we want to do is to make powerful friends. Yeah, I think there are two types of companies in the world. One are companies who don't have enough clients and have something to sell. And that a lot of times describes smaller companies, innovative companies, agile companies that want to pick up more business, and like a pilot fish. And the other is a company that has lots of clients and nothing left to sell them. At least nothing new, nothing innovative, just more of the same stuff. And when these two companies get together, it really forms a powerhouse combination because they each have unique strengths to offer each other something that is significantly valuable. Small companies can provide that agility, that speed to market that large companies really struggle to get. Uh, Large companies provide clients and access to clients that are really out of the league of the small companies that they probably couldn't access without an introduction. And where I've found this to be really helpful is uh, a lot of times you'll think about, well, it's it's the the top company. I want to go after the number one. And that can work sometimes 
if they're not too arrogant. A lot of times the number ones, it, it just, they are. Uh, but they're a lot of times playing defense, and they're some of the ones that need it the most. So, you know, they, they're, they're the ones that are really playing defense and trying to keep their clients from, from everybody else. Where I've had the greatest success has been working with the number two, three, four, five, six on down. Because they're normally gunning for the number one or number two companies and trying to take, take clients from them. And so partnerships can be amazingly powerful. Where things go wrong is the big companies, they don't want to sell your stuff. And, and I've, I've tried this a bunch of times. They want to sell more of their own stuff. And when you can position your solution as a benefit to help them go faster, um, get more stuff, then that's where things really succeed. So we'll wrap this up. We've got uh, the yes box. And remember, we're going to flip the, the funnel. Which direction? What, what is it? Flip it. Upside down. Upside down. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, flip it upside down. And then we're going to, there we go, to get big, go small. And then we're going to see the world through whose eyes? There you go. That's right. See the world through the client's eyes, our ideal clients. And then what kind of offer? Irresistible. Irresistible. I heard it from over here. Awesome. It's an irresistible offer. And then what kind of friends? What's that? That's right. We're going to make powerful friends. And that's how you position your company in the yes box and keep growth going in any economy.